Good morning, church family. My name is Brooke, and today I will be reading Nehemiah 5, verses 1 through 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have had to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Wow, thank you, Brooke, for reading that for us. And I hope that as we had that read that you could see how relevant uh, that today's talk is going to be as we talk about uh, injustice today, how we can bring justice and how we can bring generosity into our world. So just want to welcome you. I'm uh, Ron Thompson. I get to be one of the pastors here, and I'm just so grateful that you're with us today uh, in the room. We have a good crowd in the room today, and then we have people outdoors, and we have people online. And so I just want to say welcome to all of you. Just so glad that you're here. Now, those the verses that we had Brooke read this morning, uh, they describe one of the most difficult problems that Nehemiah and the people of God faced as they rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem that we've been talking about in the last few weeks. And here's the problem. The problem was economic injustice, inequality, and the exploitation of the poor. Say it again. Economic injustice, inequality, and the exploitation of the poor. The problem facing God's people in chapter 5 is this. There were those in the family... There were those who were Israelites, who were taking advantage of those who were in the family, those who were economically impoverished. And today we're going to look at how Nehemiah responded to the problem and that had the potential, honestly, of derailing the entire mission that they had been sent on to rebuild the walls. So I was just thinking about this and about how people get taken advantage of uh, you guys remember uh, when uh, COVID-19 first started and first began and uh, that there was, you know, they had this log jam that really disrupted our entire world. Very quickly, there was a national shortage of epic proportion that dominated most conversations. You guys remember what this is, right? It was about toilet paper, of course. It was about toilet paper. Uh, we were freaking out, right? Because we didn't know where we would get TP for our next, let's just say movement, okay? Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> So when I was visiting my mom recently, a family member of my mom, this is just a great story, told me about something that happened to him that was just incredibly hilarious. At the beginning of this COVID-19 problem and thinking about toilet paper and scarcity, uh, just like all of us, he was wondering where he would get his TP uh, for, that he knew that he would need if the local Walmart ran out, because that's really the place to go shopping back there. So he went online to Amazon, right? That's the source of all things that we need. Went online to Amazon to buy some toilet paper during the 1st of April, okay? He placed an order. He thought, this is a really high price, but I just want to be prepared in case there's a day I can't get it. Locally, it was $25 for 20 rolls. 
And it was expensive, but he wanted to be prepared. So he went ahead and placed his order. And then he waited, and he waited, and he waited. And luckily, he was able to get toilet paper at his local Walmart because it never showed up. Finally, around June 3rd, he just got tired of waiting. And he said, well, what do I do here? So he thought, well, the best way to approach this would be to contact his credit card company and dispute the charge, which he did. And he was refunded his money. Well, then a few weeks later... Around the beginning of July, he went to the post office one day and opened up his box, and there was a slip that said, you need to come to the counter because you've got a package. And here's what he discovered had arrived. Let's see this. It's already up, looks like. Here's what had arrived, and it was 20 rolls of toilet paper and that had been shipped all the way from China. Uh, China. But I, I asked him if I could have one of the rolls, and he said yes. And so I, I brought one with us today, so we get a close-up view of this. Uh, you know that most toilet paper, let's just open it up so you can see it even better. Second service won't get this thrill uh, of the opening. But you see that? See the hole, the you know, big hole in the middle? There's very little toilet. It's like a, a one-movement supply. That's how you would say that, okay? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I can't believe I said that. Uh, and so I, I said, well, look at this. And he was really you know, disappointed that this is what he had paid $25 for 20 of these rolls, actually. And so I, I, we talked then about the makers of this toilet paper, that they had taken advantage of the situation for their own gain. That's why then, taken advantage of the situation for their own gain. Well, folks, we've all wit witnessed similar price gouging schemes, right, during the COVID-19 as suppliers and manufacturers realized that their products were going to be in demand, and so we've seen price increases, and actually the government had to step in because of the price increases going incredibly high. Things like sanitizer, hand sanitizer, sanitizing wipes, TP, paper towels. Those are some of the main products that people wanted. And there were people who were willing to help us out, right? They wanted to help us if they, we would be willing to pay the price that they had put onto these products. They were taking advantage of the situation. Well, that's exactly what is happening in the story of Nehemiah that we want to read today in chapter 5. Except the people who were taking advantage, being taken advantage of, they actually had no power. They had no resource. They could not pay the exorbitant prices. They could not... Uh, uh, be able to take in the loans that were brought against them and the interest that they were being charged. charged. And they had no recourse except to protest and to go on strike. It's just very similar to things we're seeing in our day. They thought the only recourse they had was to protest and go on strike. And so they cried out to Nehemiah for help. And, and that's just what they did. They cried out to him. But before we get there, I know we have some people here for the first time watching online for the first time and outside for the first time today in this series. So let me just recap how we got here today, okay? So chapter one, we began the series this way. Nehemiah heard that the city of Jerusalem was in wreck, was in, uh, had been wrecked and that it needed repair, and his heart was wrecked and derailed by this news. And so he knew that he was going to have to be the one called by God to go and to rebuild these walls to give his country stability. Chapter 2, Nehemiah, we learned, was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, and that he went into a time of prayer and fasting, and after four months of prayer and fasting, he went to the king, and he said, okay, king, I finally uh, am ready. And so he asked him permission to go and rebuild the walls around his city. Artaxerxes said yes, and then Nehemiah went all out, and he went for the extra 10%, and he says, I also want supplies and money to allow me to build... The, rebuild the walls around my city. And once again, Artaxerxes said yes. 
So Nehemiah then traveled the 800 miles. Now, can't we made light of that in the story? But 800 miles, they'd take all the supplies and move 800 miles and people to be able to go and rebuild the walls. And then he got there and he said to the people, this is what God's called us to do, to rebuild the walls. And the people said this. They said, yes, we will. We will rise up and rebuild the walls. And that's where we've got our theme and title of this series, Rise Up. Well, in chapter 3, Nehemiah then decided, um, assigned different sections of the wall to be built by different families of the nation of Israel. And so because if he knew that if they didn't all work together, there was no way they were going to be able to accomplish the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. And then in chapter 4, that's where we were last week, as you might expect, any time that something productive or good for everyone is going to be done, there will be people who oppose it. There will be people who stand against it because it's not going to be for their best interest. And Pastor John did a great job last week of helping us understand how we can overcome overwhelming obstacles. And that brings us right to chapter 5. Now, what we're going to discover in chapter 5 is that now the wall is three-quarters of the way being rebuilt. And they are over halfway there, and they hit a critical bump in the road. It's a problem that they're going to face is even more severe than the opposition that broke out when it reared its ugly head and threatened to derail the mission, this problem is going to derail the mission unless there's something done to solve the problem. So let's just jump in. We're going to first look at five markers that Brooke read to us in the first five verses. Five markers of economic instability and injustice and exploitation. So if you want to grab your message notes, if you're in the room or you're outside, you can grab these. You can look on the app and download them if you want, or online. Hopefully, you've already made these available to yourself, and you can get them through the chat. So five markers of economic injustice. The first is this, runaway inflation. They were facing runaway inflation. They were in a time, it said, of famine. And so anytime there's a time of famine, food is hard to get and to be able to made available to yourself. And so therefore, prices are going higher and higher because people could charge more because it was a law of supply and demand. Second, there was a mortgage crisis. The people were mortgaging their fields and their homes to pay for their food, and then, as we're going to see in a minute, and to also pay the lenders who were taking advantage of them by charging exorbitant interest, and that leads to number three, which was high debt. High debt. They were facing high debt, and they were forced to borrow more and more, and the lenders were taking advantage of this, and so they were raising their interest rates higher and higher because they knew that they could and they were oppressing the people who were in that situation. And another difficulty they faced was unfair and unreasonable taxation. Unfair and unreasonable taxation. So the Persian Empire had set a certain tax amount upon the people, and so they were required to pay that whether they had a famine or not. Whether they had crops or not, they were still required to pay it. So in order to pay it, they ended up taking loans from the lenders to pay their taxes, and so they had unreasonable taxation. They borrowed more and more. And that led to the last marker of economic injustice, and that was social exploitation. Social, ex social exploitation. So the bottom line is this. They were forced to give up their sons and daughters, sons and daughters, as slaves, as indentured servants to the ruthless lenders or the tax officials as a way to pay their loans or their payments or their taxes. This was a time of debt slavery. And so this is a time of incredible inequality and injustice. It was the haves taking advantage of the have-nots 
it was a time when those with resources profited from those who were under-resourced or didn't have resources. And so the people didn't know what to do. And so finally, they cried out. They erupted in protest against the oppressors. They went on strike. So in verse 1, Baruch read to us that there was this great outcry that went up from the people. And in a moment, we're going to read that same word in verse 6 when we get to this. A great outcry went up from the people. And this is the same word that was used by God's people when they were being described of being under oppression and slavery by the Egyptians in Exodus. That God said, I've heard their cry. I've heard their outcry. Same word that was being used at that time. And folks, we're in a day when people are crying out. Have you noticed this? They're crying out about racial injustice, economic injustice, social injustice. And so I just think God put, he put us here today. He put this right before us today. And I believe there's something that we can all learn from Nehemiah and the way that he helped to be able to bring justice through generosity to God's people and how we can do the same as well. So I just want to give you four steps that Nehemiah took, and I think we can all take these four steps. So whether we think that we're guilty or not today of injustice or of being someone who's taking advantage of others, I really want to ask that you would do a heart set search, heart check, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this in the future. Just do a heart check right now as we go through this time, because I think God wants to speak to every one of us at a deep level about our own stuff today so that we can alleviate the pressure that people are living in in our world. Okay, the first idea is this, that Naomi, Nehemiah did, is that we need to take injustice seriously. So we need to take injustice seriously. So Nehemiah did that. He took the cry of the people seriously. Seriously. And I love his response in verse 6, and it says this. When I heard their outcry, and I heard the charges, the five marks that we talked about there, when I heard the charges, I was very angry. I was very angry. And so what he's saying here is he said, I was deeply angered when I saw that God's people were taking advantage of God's people. But he basically said this way, I was very angered when I saw that those who have were taking care of those who have not, who could do nothing different about their situation and circumstance because they were born into that place and they were living under uh, absolute famine and oppression and difficulty and they could not do anything different. And he was angry that those who have did not help those who had not. Instead, they were taking advantage of them. So here's the point. When we see injustice, it should make us feel angry. It should make us feel angry when we see it. So the Bible's clear. The Bible's clear, especially when you read the Old Testament. It's so clear about this, that God has a special place in his heart for the oppressed, for the poor, for the widows, and for the orphans. That God has a special place in his heart for them. I looked this up. Over a hundred different times in the Old Testament, it talks about God condemning his people for their lack of care for the poor, for the orphaned, for the widowed, for those who are discriminated against and those who are marginalized. And it actually says in Ezekiel that God got very angry when he saw this and he saw the mistreatment of people. 
So if you study this concept, what God is saying to his people, if you really look through the 105 verses in the Old Testament that talk about this, what you learn is this, that God would say to us, he was saying to his people, and he would say to us as well, you are deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. If you think you can have a relationship with me and at the same time ignore the needs of the poor and widows and orphans and oppressed. You're kidding yourself, he says. It makes him angry when we overlook or oppress those who are being taken advantage of. An example would be Jesus when he went to the temple and saw the money changers. And we read about that in Matthew. It says that Jesus got angry and he turned over the tables. Now, do you think Jesus turned over the tables because there was actually money changing going on in the temple? No. Jesus turned over the tables because there was oppression of God's people going on in the temple. They were taking advantage of God's people who needed to give their offerings. They needed to do this to worship God and that they were charging exorbitant prices so that they could be able to have their offerings. And that's what got Jesus so angry. They were taking advantage of the vulnerable and poor. And we need to, like Jesus, take injustice seriously. So this is where you'd want to do a heart check. You know, do I see injustice in the world, and how does that make me look at that injustice? What goes inside of me? Do I get angry, or do I somehow excuse, or do I somehow blame, or do I somehow you know, find a way to justify or disregard, or do I say, no, injustice is there. I see it, and I'm going to take it seriously. It's going to eat in my soul. Second idea is this. Instead of letting his anger drive him or expressing his anger, he stopped. And this is what I want to encourage us. He stopped. And second, he took moral inventory. Take a moral inventory. So in other words, what we want to do when we feel this anger is we want to stop and we want to say, do I understand the problem? And do I understand how I'm part of the problem? Do I understand the problem, and do I understand how I, myself, am part of the problem? He doesn't first explode in anger. Instead, he stops and looks inside himself. He called, I put it this in my notes, he called a Zoom meeting with himself. He consulted with himself. But when it says he consulted with himself, what it really means, he's consulting with God. He's asking God, does God show me, where am I guilty of oppressing or taking advantage of those who are under-resourced. Because we're going to see later that Nehemiah was someone who was loaning money. He had money, he was aware of that, and he was someone who was loaning money to his fellow brothers and sisters, and that he was also more than likely charging interest rates that were too high. And so he, now he has to do a moral inventory of his own heart and his own actions and so this is where, folks, I just think it would be good because in order for Nehemiah to get here, Nehemiah had to stop and he had to listen to the cries of the people. And this is what people are saying right now all across our culture right now, especially those who are feeling oppressed and disenfranchised and are disadvantaged in our culture and they feel that they've been discriminated against and there's been prejudice against them. What they're saying is simply, would you take time to listen to us? Would you take time to listen to our hearts? Would you take time to listen to our circumstances? without your preconceived ideas, without your judgments before we even start? Would you just take time to listen? And that's what he did. Let's read these verses, beginning in verse 7. He says, I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, 
You are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them. <laughs> so he's, he's consulted with himself. So he's not only dealing with them, but he's dealing with his own heart here as he goes through this. As far back as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. So we've done a great job, he says, of buying back the fellow Jews who were, uh, had been taken by the Gentiles and they were in slavery. We bought them back. Now what you're doing is you're selling your own people, the ones that we already bought back, only for them to be sold back to us, to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. I just think this is a, a tremendous word right here. It shows you that God was moving in, this, in the midst of the people right now because they didn't say, hold it a minute. You don't understand. You don't realize this is my business, and this is how I'm going to make my living. This is how things are going to work. They didn't say, but those people did. They didn't do any of that. This is how I think God's Holy Spirit works many times is they simply were silent. They simply were silent. I had nothing, nothing to say. So I just want to ask, when you've seen the legitimate protests in our culture today, when you've seen the cries and uh, that you've seen the outcries of those who feel that they've been oppressed or they've been taken advantage of or they've been disenfranchised uh, in some way they're living against prejudice, I mean, how do you respond? How do you respond when you hear the word white privilege? How does that work in your soul when you hear that word? How do you, hear, you know, respond when you hear that this is all just a social construct? How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel when you hear this word, these two words, racial inequality? What goes on in your soul when you hear those words? How about this? Economic privilege. Economic privilege. Or how about this? Systemic racism. Now, when you hear those words, it would be easy for our first response to be, not me, not me, not me, and to judge those who are making those statements because of some criteria that we've put in place, mainly to protect ourselves. But what would, would be willing to do a moral inventory of our own souls, of our own hearts, and ask God to show us what he wants to show us through our reactions to these terms and th reactions to what's going on in our culture today. We may have to realize that even though we may not be able to see it, and some of you really need to hear me now, even though we may not be able to see it, we may be guilty of discrimination and prejudice, and we may actually be part of the exploitation that goes on around us. We may be part. We may be complicit in what's happening around us. So we have to take it seriously. We have to take a personal moral inventory. And number three, now, now that we're there, we need to take specific action steps to do what we can do to solve the problem. Specific action steps. Now, I want to notice this. And Nehemiah is going to use a specific way to get the attention of the people here. And so um, I'm going to give you what he's going to say, and I'm going to read what he says, Okay. So he's going to say here, he's saying this, he says that what you're doing is hurting your brothers and sisters, so your kinsmen, he's going to say what you're doing is hurting your relationship with God, and he's going to say what you're doing is hurting your witness to the world. And this is it. He says this, so I continued, what you're doing is not right. 
you're hurting your brothers and sisters. Shouldn't you walk in fear before our God? Shouldn't you walk in fear before our God? You're interrupting your relationship with God right now. And then he says this, to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies, those from the outside who are looking in and wondering whether this faith in God really matters. So we're getting in the way of our witness. So let's just pause there for a minute. He's saying that when we stand, when we refuse to stand up for the rights of those who are the poor, the disenfranchised, the widows, the orphans, the oppressed, we are hurting ourselves and we are also hurting those we are overlooking. He's saying also that we're hurting our relationship with God. Remember we pointed out that you can't have a relationship with God and ignore the oppressed. God says that himself in his word. And number three, he's saying that we hurt or damage our own witness. And I just think this is one of the areas that followers of Jesus really need to listen up on is that when we refuse to take care of the poor, that we are indicting ourselves. And as we indict ourselves, we're indicting our God. And those who are looking in are saying, why would I want to believe in a God like that if the people who follow him don't even take care of the ones that their God says they should take care of? How many people do you know who've rejected Christianity because of followers of Jesus? They've seen followers of Jesus and they said, I could never be like that. I've never want to be like that. There's a story about Gandhi. And one time Gandhi was refused access to a church in South Africa and because of the color of his skin, believe it or not. And from that day forward, he would say, I'm not a Christian. I like your Christ. I just don't like Christians. Because he felt judged by them. Judged by them. So the best witness that we have as God's people is when we help those who are being oppressed. We take care of those who are living under that kind of exploitation. That inspires those who are watching from the sidelines to see how we're really going to respond to those situations. Now he gives some specific actions. He says this, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. So he's, taking, he's, taking, he's confessing out loud to the community here, taking responsibility for where he is. But let us stop. Let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and all the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Now, this whole deal is working out where it's like every pastor's dream. Everything that Nehemiah says, the people say, okay, <laughs> we'll do that. Every pastor's dream. That he would do it, but that's exactly how God's Spirit is working in this time and this place. He called them to stop charging interest. He called them to relieve the people of the crushing debt that had been placed upon them by the high interest rates that they were actually being under at this time. They say it was somewhere around 12% was the interest that they were paying for loans at this time. He called them to make a difference in the way that they were treating those who were marginalized and disadvantaged. And it goes on and says this. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. So now he's gonna, it's going to get really real here. Instead of them saying, we will do, now they're going to come before the priests and they're going to say, we agree that we're going to do what we have promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their houses and possessions anyone who does not keep his promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly against it. Amen. So be it. So be it. And then it says, and they walked away depressed. Oh, well, I think that's not what it says, is it? It says, they said, amen. 
And then it says what? And they praised the Lord. They'd been called in the carpet. They had been willing to admit, yes, we've done this. Even though it was going to cost them dearly, they were willing to say, we will no longer do this, and no longer will we no longer do this. We will give those who are in debt to us amnesty, and we will set them free because it's the best thing, best thing for what God's called us to be and called us to do. Nehemiah is saying this, we should never use our position of wealth or power to oppress those who are in need. Never. We're to be aware of others when they're being taken advantage of because of their economic standing or race or education or social status. We are never to neglect or be indifferent to those who are in need. Instead, we are to use the resources that God has blessed us with to relieve the suffering of others. So one of the things we're going to do as a church is we're looking for ways that we can relieve the suffering of others. And so next Sunday, uh, we're going to receive an offering, a special offering, that we're going to give all 100% of this special offering to Hospitality House. Hospitality House is the organization in our town that is leading the way in taking care of the homeless in our community. And we are going to give generously to that ourselves to help them. Pastor John's been working with Hospitality House, and this is what they said. He wrote this to me. He says, once COVID-19 hit Hospitality House, it changed what they did and how they did it. Now, instead of just being a nighttime operation, which is what they were, they are a 24-7 operation at multiple locations. The increased services are wonderful to provide, they say, but they come with increased expenses, as you can imagine. They are unable to utilize most volunteers, similar to most nonprofits or most other organizations in our culture right now. We can't really access the volunteers because of social distancing and all the COVID restrictions that are out there. So there have been increases in what they've had to pay to their employees, to the case managers, to the food costs that they've been able to give to the people for transportation and many other levels of staff reports. Many monthly expenses have increased significantly so that every dollar donated will make a difference. Every dollar donated will make a difference. So next Sunday, we're going to make opportunity for us to be generous and we can give to help those in our community who are disenfranchised, as well as the volunteer opportunities that we'll have throughout the year. Okay, number four is this. I have to take personal responsibility. That's kind of what we talked about there. Is I have to take personal responsibility for what I see around me. So this kind of reminds me of a cartoon I saw. And so this cartoon is two turtles. And since I've never been a turtle or heard a turtle speak, I don't know exactly how a turtle will speak, so just go with me here. And so one turtle looks to the other turtle and says, sometime I'd like to ask God why he allows poverty and famine and justice when he could do something about it. And the other turtle responds and says this, you know, I'm afraid God might ask me the same question. Why doesn't he do it? God may turn to us and say, well, why don't you do it? He wants us to be responsible, and that's what Nehemiah does here as well. He's a man who took responsibility for the conditions he saw and acted with sacrificial generosity. Okay, here's what it says. Lots of verses here. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. So he's been saying, we're not eating the food that's been given to us. 
But the early governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. So he said other governors took advantage of their position, but I'm not taking advantage of my position. Their assistants, those who worked with the governor, also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. So he knew the God of the Bible, of the Old Testament. He says, out of reverence to him, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall. So I gave myself to doing the work instead of taking advantage of the circumstances or the privileges that would come to me because of my position. All my men were assembled there for the work. So instead of my men taking care of me and doting on me, I put them all to work on the wall as well. We did not require any land, acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. 150 Jews plus others ate at his table. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food that was allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on the people. So what Nehemiah does here is he says, here's how I took personal responsibility for what was going on around me. I didn't take advantage of those around me in ways I could have because of my position and because of their position in the structure. He did not take the various generous allowances that were due to him, uh, that were allowed to him by the gov- as, because he was governor of the land. Why? Because he knew and he recognized what a difficult position the people were in. He could not take what was rightfully his because that would take away from them. He did without Rather, he helped others out of his own resources, so he provided food. Can you imagine what it would be like to provide food for 150 people a day plus? And the resources that took, and the time that took, and the energy that took, all out of his own dime. So what Nehemiah is doing, he's saying, I'm calling you to a radical standard that's different than the culture around you. I'm calling you to a generosity that's more than what's permissible or more than what might be required. Instead, he determines, asks us to respond in a way that will help those who are disadvantaged financially. And I love how he ends this whole phrase, this whole chapter. And you might think, well, this sounds kind of selfish. It sounds kind of selfish, doesn't it? Look at how he ends. This is his prayer. Remember me with my favor, God, for all I have done for these people. And what Nehemiah had done is he had proven to God that, God, when you pour out to me, I will not be a holder of your blessings. I will be a conduit of your blessings to others. And so he was saying, God, if you pour out, I'll pour out. You pour into me, I'll pour out to others that they may receive from your bountiful blessings. And that's what he calls us to do. And how, how can we do that, folks? I know I'm talking about something really complicated today. How can we live like this? Well, we live like this because we've experienced the love of Jesus Christ for ourselves. We're going to move into a time of communion now, and we're going to get to experience uh, the love that Jesus showed for us on the cross. And the ult- ultimate example of someone who gave up his riches and his glory to help those who were poor was Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. See, the template is this, that worldly leaders, they take advantage of others 
to make themselves better or to give themselves benefit in some way. And what we see here is we see Jesus, who was rich beyond measure, putting aside his riches and pouring out to those who were disadvantaged and had no access to God. They were poor in spirit. He willingly made himself nothing for our behalf. The Bible says that Jesus did not come to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I want to read this verse from 2 Corinthians 8 9, and then I'm going to lead us in a time where we have communion together. Paul writes, and he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Jesus gave so that we could be made rich. Jesus gave made it possible for justice to be fulfilled. He took our punishment upon himself, and then he was generous because Jesus made it possible for us to receive what was able to actually do to him as the king of the world, and we got to receive that ourselves. So I'm going to give us a little time to think about that. We're going to have this time of communion. So if you're at home, I want you to get ready with your communion elements. If you're in here or outside, I want you to also get ready. And because of the guidelines that we've been given, we're doing a different way of communion here. So let me just coach you through those in the room before you start, okay? This is going to sell. It's going to help you, okay? <laughs> it's going to help you. See these? There's a thin plastic layer on top. You've got to do that first before you rip off to get to the liquid or you're not going to get to the wafer, okay? So everybody be aware of that. Thin plastic layer. I hate to take time right now to do this, but I've got to do it. And then we're going to be able to go through this time of communion together. But before we do that, I want to pray. God, we come to you and we ask you that you would touch our hearts today, Father, that you would help us, each one of us, to, to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, who was king and he came and he put aside all that was due him so that he could die for us on a cross, that we could have relationship with you, that the rich came for the poor. And he gave himself that we could be made rich. Lord, I just want to pray for anyone who's never said yes to you, Jesus. And by yes, I mean yes to the offer. Yes to the offer of forgiveness and life and freedom and transformation, ultimately of relationship. Would you say yes to Jesus right now? You may think, well, Ron, I've got all these things in my life that I'd like to get ready, that I'd like to change, and I'm not sure I'm ready for that. But you know what? Jesus, it says, come as you are. Come as you are to the altar. Just as you are. Come to him, and you would say, Jesus, as much as I understand this today, I say yes to you, and I ask you, Jesus, that you would fill my soul, fill my heart, and I thank you for your undying love, and I thank you for what you've given us through your death on the cross. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to take the elements now, and we're going to take our wafer or our bread or whatever it is that we're eating right now that would resemble and represent the body of Jesus. I want you to take this, and I want you to think about this. This represents the body of Jesus Christ, that he took your punishment upon himself when he went to the cross. He took the penalty that was due you upon himself. That you could be free. 
that you could receive the Father's love. So as we eat this, let's just say, Jesus, thank you for that. And it says that on the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, that he poured wine in a cup and he said to his disciples, he said, this is my, represents my blood that would be shed for you. And he encouraged them. He said this, I want you to drink this to remember me. Would you drink this and say, thank you, Jesus. I just thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity. I pray for those who are watching at home, those who are sitting outside, those who are in this room, those who will be watching this service in the future. I pray that we would help us, you would help us to remember how we've been blessed, that you've poured your favor out on us. As we sang today, the goodness of God chases us down. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to remember that and that we would not be stingy with what you've given us, but we would be generous, that we would want to help those that your heart leans toward, that you've told us that we must care for, signs that we're in your kingdom and that we are your people. And I just thank you for this story from Nehemiah and how challenging it's been for me and my heart, and I pray it's been for all of us as well. Pray that you would give us courage to do a moral inventory of how we even responded to what I said today. With the inventory of our heart, how we respond to those phrases I used. We would ask you, Jesus, that you would fill us, that you would inspire us, and that you would help us, that we would take action steps to help those who are impoverished, those who are disenfranchised, those who are being exploited, uh, those who are being economically deprived, and we would look for ways that we could be your hands and feet in this world. I pray that you would guide us as we receive our offerings next week of generosity to help Hospitality House, who is on the front lines of doing these same things with people who need it, need it desperately. You would help us to be personally responsible ourselves and not look for what others can do. What would you have us do as well? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.